Whether you need to restock the fridge or just have a sudden, intense craving for cheese puffs, Kroger Delivery will get you just what you need in as little as 30 minutes. From groceries to household items, Kroger delivers right to your door. So don't let one major craving have you reaching for your car keys. Open the Kroger app and start your cart, whatever the cart. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Delivery times not guaranteed. Restrictions may apply. See site for details. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting enrolls for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word GRADE to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun. And everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn-to-read program that kids love to use. Text GRADE to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text GRADE to 323232 right now and get started for just $1. Text GRADE to 323232 now. Text GRADE to 323232. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Worldwide toll-free 800-610-7035. Email xzone at xzoneradiotv.com. On all social media sites, TV, And our main website at www.xzoneradiotv.com. My guest this hour is is uh, Zoltan Istvan, and uh, he is a best-selling visionary author, an American-Hungarian. He began a solo multi-year sailing journey around the world at the age of 21. His main cargo was 500 hand-picked books, mostly classics. Now, he's explored over 100 countries, many as a journalist for the National Geographic Channel, writing, filming, and appearing in dozens of television stories, articles, and webcasts. He work, uh, his work also has been featured by the New York Times Syndicate, Outside, San Francisco Chronicle, BBC Radio, CNN, CBS, Animal Planet, and the Travel Channel. 
In addition to his award-winning coverage of the war in Kashmir, he gained worldwide attention for pioneering and popularizing the extreme sport of volcano boarding. Joining me now is Zoltan Isvan and Zoltan. Welcome to the X-Zone. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I very much appreciate it. My goodness. At the age of 21, sailing around the world with 500 books? Why? Well, you know, um, I think like many young people, I just want to discover the world. And uh, I'm a big believer that uh, books can teach you just about anything that you need to know. Mm. But the real reason was that... um, I wanted to go traveling as well, but it's hard to carry all the books you want in just a backpack. And, you know, the car is kind of limited to land, so a sailboat seemed the very best way. It's kind of like a floating apartment. You get to keep all your books, your mm-hmm. guitar, surfboards, and things like that. So that's why I went sailing with uh, with all those books. Well, were there any times uh, when you were out sailing that, that you had second thoughts? Oh, sure. You know, I mean, I... Uh, uh, most of the trip was done uh, entirely alone. A couple times some girlfriends came with me uh, near the end. But, uh, yeah, there were times I was super lonely. There were other times I uh, had a very close, uh, I'd say, near-death experience where the boat basically rolled over in a oh major my. storm. And, uh, you know, um, it made me wonder if it was all worth it. But, uh, you know, eventually I, I sort of uh, made it through, and then uh, I spent about four years in the South Pacific. And, mm-hmm. frankly, uh, in the early 20s, that was a, that was a dream time to look back on it now. During your, 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 your trip around the world, uh, did you see anything or experience anything that was totally out of, out of your realm of reality? Well, you know, the one thing that did happen to me, and in fact I uh, later went to cover it for the National Geographic Channel, was I was one of the first foreigners, I was the first foreigner, to uh, essentially discover a indigenous tribe in the island nation of Vanuatu on the island of Espiritu Santo. And then I later went back about six years later Mm -hmm. for the National Geographic Channel and covered it. But, you know, this is incredibly amazing because they were so enamored with uh, blonde hair, with my fair skin, with a flashlight, a pen, you know. And uh, so that was an incredible experience. I'd say there's very, you know, very few people have had sort of a, a first encounter experience like that with the tribe. All right, I have to ask you. Volcano boarding? Sure. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> um, again, in, in the South Pacific, there's a very active volcano where the pumice blows out, mm-hmm. and um, it's, uh, it, it creates this, like, double, uh, you know, black diamond slope. And from a distance, you can tell it's the perfect slope to ski down. So I also went for the National Geographic Channel and filmed it, and uh, it was... Um, it was an incredible experience, and it also I was essentially the uh, inventor or the pioneer of the sport, which is now caught on. And uh, if you go to National Geographic or to YouTube, right. you can just kind of Google it and find uh, that webcast. It's a, it's a fun video to watch. Wow. Um, how many years ago was that when you, when you, when you did your around-the-world trip? So, you know, um, it was most of the trip was done around uh, approximately. I ended maybe five, six, seven years ago. Though so I got to say, my my sailboat is still in Greece. I haven't mm-hmm. actually finished my surfing oh. navigation yet. So I am actually about three quarters of the way done. And I, every two or three years, I go back. I've kind of uh, left it uh, to be finished uh, because you know it, it's a wonderful thing, and it's uh, I you know. Most of the time is spent on land, uh, not really sailing. I'm not trying to finish. I'm actually just trying to explore. 
So you're an explorer of over 100 countries. Stand by, Zoltan. You and I have to take our first commercial break. Exonation Zoltan Estvan is our special guest. www.transhumanistwager.com More of, of Zoltan's fascinating life, his adventures, and his new book. We'll be talking to Zoltan the rest of this hour here in the Exxon as we continue investigating the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern right here on the Exxon Broadcast Network and our worldwide family of broadcast affiliates. Don't go away. Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. As this is the first book in the Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. Named one of the world's greatest psychics, Elizabeth Joyce is now giving readings worldwide via Skype. Elizabeth Joyce is recognized for her clairvoyant ability to help find missing persons, her analysis of dreams, past life regression work, mediumship, and her accurate predictions. Elizabeth has been a frequent guest on the Exxon radio show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, now for several years. For an appointment with Elizabeth Joyce, call 201-934-8986 or Skype at elizabeth.joyce. And for more information, you can always visit Elizabeth Joyce online at www.new-visions.com. disease that you would like to alleviate through a natural means? Have you been contacted by angels, ghosts, or even extraterrestrials and want to validate these experiences? Or would you simply like to speak with someone who can help you find your life's purpose? I'm Dr. Joseph Mara, and I'm offering my services free of charge for first-time clients contacting me during the month of April. These free consultations include angel card readings, guided meditations, life coaching, and energy healing. If you have always wanted to explore these types of experiences but were skeptical or simply could not afford them, then take advantage of this free special offer. Contact me through my website, aguidinglight, spelled L-I-T-E, dot com, to schedule your consultation today. Until then, I offer you love, light, and laughter.
Exonation uh, Zoltan Esfan is our special guest this hour, www.transhumanistwager.com. You know, Zoltan, undoubtedly you've led an ex- incredibly diverse life, including as a journalist for the National Geographic Channel. Tell us about that. That must have been something exciting. Well, I'll tell you, you know, I, I really feel it probably was um, perhaps the luckiest experience in my life to be able to have that job for approximately four years because was able to pitch my stories and sort of go around uh, the world mm-hmm. and um, and write about it, film about it, and uh, create webcasts about it. But, uh, you know, a lot of my coverage was in conflict zones, so I certainly uh, saw my fair share of uh, kind of pretty sad things, a lot of refugee camps, um, some fighting, uh, and just a lot of, you know, hardcore conflict stuff. Uh, it, it was pretty challenging. I think a lot of young journalists end up uh, doing war zone stuff just to either build a name or just to get the, you know, an inside a really exciting mm-hmm. story. So while it was a fascinating uh, life and a fascinating four years of my life, it also was quite dangerous. You know, you recently published uh, the philosophy number one bookseller novel, The Transhumanist Wager. Tell us about that. Absolutely. Um, so the, the Transhumanist Wager is a novel, and essentially it follows the life of protagonist Jethro Knights, and Jethro Knights's main goal in life is to live indefinitely uh, through science and through uh, technology. And um, he will do anything to achieve that, which is where the controversial part of the book comes, because in the end of the book, he ends up launching a world war in order to achieve his, uh, his aims. But um, essentially, it follows that his life, you know, from a very early age uh, mm-hmm. in high school all the way to the end, and he does change the world and make it into a much more kind of science and technologically oriented world in order to use that science and technology to live indefinitely and also to have everyone else, the people he loves, the people he cares about, uh, live indefinitely so that people can uh, basically eliminate uh, human mortality. Yeah, I I don't know if I'd like to live indefinitely. Would you? Uh, You know what it is? is I really just want the choice. I'm not 100% sure I would want to live indefinitely. I think that's a very difficult question to ask. In fact, I tend not to even refer to it as immortality anymore. I tend to just say, well, people want, you know, transhumanists want mm-hmm. to live indefinitely. But um, yes, I would like that option because I certainly, uh, I guess I just don't like the idea of being forced into, uh, you know, death. Makes uh, sense. Uh, so what was your inspiration for writing this book? So I have just, um, you know, ever since I've been a col- in college at Columbia University uh, studying philosophy, I have been very interested in transhumanist philosophy. Uh, cryonics, which mm-hmm. is, you know, deep freezing bodies to bring them back to life, and uh, and just other types of uh, very radical life extension science. But what happened is when I was in Vietnam uh, covering the DMZ over there, I uh, was just doing a story on bomb diggers, these uh, uh, Vietnamese farmers that actually dig up unexploded American ordinances wow. uh, from the ground, and they sell the metal. They make a lot more money selling the metal than... Uh, uh, you know, farming rice. And of course, we had dropped so many millions and millions of tons of bombs, and many of them are, un- well, you know, a huge percentage of them are unexploded, so there's a lot of metal to be found. But anyways, I was doing a story for the National Geographic Channel covering this, and I almost stepped on a landmine. And it was really, after about four years of doing kind of some dangerous conflict zone stuff, it was the moment that I thought, I am, uh, I am through doing conflict work, uh, doing war journalism, and doing very dangerous stories. I, I want to do something so that I can live longer, I can live better, I can live indefinitely. And I thought, you know, I love mm-hmm. writing, why not go home and uh, write a novel about, about a person who wants to live forever and what he can do to achieve that. 
So what makes your book so controversial? Well, I think what, what really makes it controversial is that the protagonist, Jethro Knight, will do anything to achieve a life extension. Hmm. And when I say anything, I mean he will literally start a world war if there are forces against him. You know, for example, we uh, in America, we have, I don't want to say an anti-life uh, extension culture, but certainly many people, you know, the majority of Congress is quite religious, and they all also want to die because they want to, uh, they believe in going to heaven. Well, most transhumanists take on an either an agnostic or an atheist perspective, right. and they just simply see, you know, when they die, that's the end. Well, they want to preserve that. And so ultimately, the book argues a philosophy that says, you should try to use science and technology if you don't believe in either a higher power or in an afterlife. You should use science and technology to try to live forever. And most of the book is very philosophical. It leads you through some of these arguments. And uh, eventually the reader is left with this idea, well, wow, they, these are pretty convincing arguments. And that's where the controversy comes from. It's been called a very anti-religious book. I'm not mm -hmm. sure I would say it that way, but I see it more as just a philosophical uh, kind of manuscript that leads someone through why they might want to live indefinitely and what they need to do about it. Okay, let me let me ask you this. What about the... All right, we have this these people who are living forever. What about the, the, this, the, the strain on the system, the strain on the planet, this food supply, the medical? How does this, how does this work? Because you still have people being born. What happens? Right, no, do you know, do we suffer from population over, overload? Yeah, no, and this is probably one of the, the most central issues that a lot of people have with both uh, the transhumanist movement and also with what life extension science mm. is really doing, is that, wow, if everyone lives to 150 or everyone lives indefinitely, uh, eventually we're going to be incredibly overpopulated. We yeah. basically already are. And, um, you know, so the transhumanists, and I would say, as I argue in my, in my book as well, that what's going to happen here is in 20 or 30 years, we are going to have the technology to upload our brains into computers. And um, we're also going to have the technology of artificial, we're going to essentially achieve artificial intelligence here in probably 10 to 20 years as well. So mm -hmm. there's a number of different technologies that are going to arrive all in the same time in the next few decades. So you can imagine if everyone uploads themselves, become digital avatars of themselves, it, you know, frankly, it might, many people argue that it will be safer to live inside a computer um, to literally leave behind your biological flesh, we would have literally a, a clone of our mind, of our brains, and create ourselves inside machines. So we'd be the same people, same memories, same thoughts, these kind of things. But we wouldn't be using Earth's resources. We'd probably just have one single, you know, solar panel or something like that that can potentially uh, actually, you know, energize the entire world. And I'm talking about something like the, uh, the size of the Empire State Building mm -hmm. sitting in you know, a million people, um, just have them have the, the, the entire building filled with servers and just, you know, digital avatars of okay. ourselves running around inside. Let me ask you so this. So that's one way that we might, let, might let, have, you know, less use, less uses of resources. Let me ask you this. What happens in the, in the case of a magnetic pole shift where, you know, the positive becomes negative, negative becomes positive, and all the machinery that we have on Earth that uses electricity or motors ceases? What happens to the people inside the computer? An excellent question. And I, I uh, you know, as, as much as I trump my horn about uh, 
how positive a lot of mm-hmm. this is, I realize that there are there's an, are an incredible amount of dangers. Sure. You know, one of the big things you talk about with viruses, what if the entire population was inside a computer and got a virus yep. and no one could stop it? I mean, it's the same sort of thing here uh, on the planet. And you're right. What if something happened with the planets? What if an asteroid came and we were, you know, so there hopefully there would be a section of the population that might choose to upload themselves. There would be a section of the population that would, you know, go out of their way to guarantee uh, that the Earth continued nicely using less resources. There'd be a, a section of the population that worried mostly about space travel. They would go off and explore universe. Hopefully, from a you know a biological perspective, we would diversify our endeavors, and uh, so you would have virtually many different types of uh, existences as a human being or as a transhumanist mm-hmm. being. And uh, so that way, should something like the you know polarization or whatever happen. The, not everyone would be lost. I think everyone hopefully would have a free choice on which direction they want to go, and the science and the technology would, uh, you know, would enable them to make uh, better choices in how they want to live their lives, especially when we talk about living in death world. So would this be something that the rich would have asset to and the poor would just have to suffer and die mortal deaths? So, you know, uh, I'm a big proponent of the concept that technology actually enables everyone. In fact, I just wrote an article about this for the Huffington Post. It's called The Biggest Worry About Transhumanism. Mm-hmm. And I get a question, this question a lot where people say, well, hey, the elite are going to take over. The rich are just going to leave the poor behind. But They're doing that now anyway, so what's the difference? You know, they are, but at the same time, you know, some things like phone technology, vaccination, mm-hmm. cars, all these things have become so cheap that you can find even the poorest on the planet, let's say in Mali in Africa, uh, you know, they're using cell phones. So hopefully, and I'm, you know, again, I'm, I'm a proponent of it. I, I know some people aren't. Mm-hmm. I believe the technology will trickle down and make people live better lives. It may, but it may have the adverse reaction as well. It could cause more harm than good. It could, it could, and I hope, no matter what happens with technology and science, that you know people will be careful with it. Uh, more talk, you know, more radio interviews of this will ta- take place, where people just actually say, "Well, how far does society really want to take this?" I mean, clearly, everyone wants to use science and medicine to live better, to protect their children and stuff like that. But do we want it to destroy us? These are, you know, fundamental, incredible philosophical questions that uh, I hopefully only civilization can answer. And I think the more people that talk about and know mm-hmm. about this kind of technology, we'll you know we'll have better a better chance of dealing with it properly, so we don't do anything, I guess, mighty stupid with the species. So basically, you're in total agreement with the 2045 initiative. I am in most mostly. I am in total agreement with it. I'm not going to say entirely, but I, I do uh, I do support it. You know, my opinion is that technology is the drug of choice of the future, and we're seeing that in today's society with the the total bombardment of data and the amount of information that humans are accessible to. And I really don't believe that at this time in our evolution that we are capable of processing all the information that we are inundated with each and every minute of the day. Well, you know, I, I think you're right. You're definitely right. Um, it's gotten over. It's an overload for me. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that. I answer way too many emails a day, and I can't figure out all the time what's going on anymore. However, I want to tell you that there are people, there are now hundreds of millions of dollars being put into companies that are actually putting chips into people's heads. Yeah. They're already using it for medical purposes. They have robotic limbs that are now attaching to nervous systems, so amputees can actually feel with their robotic arms. 
it's really just a matter of time before we are able to at least connect to machines. And hopefully, again, this is just being very positive. I, I, I realize there are so many dangers. We might be able to interpret and take in much more information in the next 20 years than we could today with the assistance of chips in our heads and stuff like that. Well, what are we seeing? Are we seeing the end of the human race? Are we giving way to total technology and saying goodbye to humanism? That's pretty sad. So, you know, Ron, I, I, I do believe that we're, we are saying goodbye to it. It's going to be slow. There's not going to be a quick jump. I think, um, you know, it's sort of like driving a car. At some point, we said, you know, it's... Zoltan, no I hate, Zoltan, I've got to take my break. Please stand by. Exxon Nation. Zoltan Estevan is our special guest. Transhumanist. Wager.com. And we'll be back on the other side of the short break as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario. Are you considering calling a psychic to read your situation? Then consider David Champion, a psychic medium for more than 20 years with thousands of readings under his belt. David Champion will make you feel comfortable. He has proven to be honest and accurate. He's a straight shooter. There's no guesswork. What he sees is what you get. While he is a medium, most of the calls focus on relationships. Not only love, but work, school, neighbors, and more. Need help with finding a job and preparing for the interview? Are you dealing with people who are obstacles in your path? For more information, go to davidchampion.com, $1.50 per minute, paid by credit card, with a minimum of 30 minutes. For your reading with David Champion, call 1-877-702-8598. That's 1-877-702-8598. Now you can dial in to listen to the Exxon Radio Show from anywhere in the world with Rob McConnell 24-7, 365 by dialing 213-401-0080. That's 213-401-0080. If you have a mobile phone or landline, the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell is now at your beck and call at 213-401-0080. That's 213-401-0080, 24-7, 365. Now you can dial in to listen to the Exxon Radio Show from anywhere in the world with Rob McConnell 24-7, 365 by dialing 213-401-0080. That's 213-401-0080. If you have a mobile phone or landline, the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell is now at your beck and call at 213-401-0080. That's 213-401-0080-247-365. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. 
Welcome back, everyone. Uh, Zoltan Estevan is our special guest, www.transhumanistwager.com. It's a, it's a rather interesting concept. Uh, you know, machines or computers taking over the, the very essence and soul of a human so that the human can basically live forever. I have concerns that science or those who can afford it are taking way too much control of of the human race um i you know gosh we we can't get along now with other philosophies with other religions uh, with you know we've got wars and and it seems like we're going to be going back to iraq you know it's it's just a lot to to expect of the human race to say, all right, I, I want to give up my body. I want to become an avatar. I want to live in virtual reality because why? Just to live longer? Well, you know, my primary reason, and I would say the number one reason of most transhumanists is, yes, to live longer. I'm just a group of people that don't want to die. But I'm also, you know, I'm a techno-optimist. I believe that science and technology will mm-hmm. actually help eliminate wars. We will help eliminate diseases. It will make it so that it in, it actually empowers the individual, gives them information, uh, you know, instantly. It, it, so far, it's been very, you know, technology so far has been very helpful yeah. in bringing about a lot of democracy. Now, I know a lot of that democracy may not actually translate to uh, democracy when it concerns the elites. However, there's a lot of people that have had improved lives over the last 20, 30 years, at least according to, you know, United Nations reports and sure. stuff like that. Because of technology, so I'm I'm hopeful that maybe it will something like that will happen, and I'm also hopeful that there's a whole new you know a breed of entrepreneurs mm-hmm. that are out there, young people, Mark Zuckerberg, that are younger that they don't they don't have the same kind of ambitious ideas where they want to take over the world and just you know live in the gazillion dollar homes. I think they actually care about people. They're going to be like Bill Gates and try to eliminate uh, malaria and, and really dedicate a lot of their resources towards the human race. I'm hopeful. Let me ask you this. You know, we're talking about 20, in, in about 25 years, this, this transhumanist situation occurring. We can't even cure cancer. How, how, how can anyone expect that this concept of transhumanism from human to computer is all that it's made out to be. Well, you know, a, a, a wonderful question, Ron, because, again, you just have my opinion on the radio, and I mm-hmm. have uh, the opinion I get from a lot of discussions with people. It's very difficult to say. I'm, I actually don't believe uh, a lot of the things until I see it. Right. And yet we're having this conversation where, you know, I don't know where you're, you're in Canada, and I'm here in California somewhere, mm-hmm. and we're able to, you know, talk over the uh, radio waves. I think we had told somebody 200 years ago, hey, I'm going to have this conversation, there's going to be millions of listeners to it, yeah. whatnot, it would have sounded crazy. And you're right, we haven't cured cancer yet, but we have virtually in every field of cancer, every form of cancer, extended lives so dramatically that while we haven't actually came up with a cure for it, you know, not that many, uh, there's a lot less people dying from it at a young mm-hmm. age than used to be the case. Now, many, of course, a lot of people are older and they will still die from it. But we are making improvements. Cancer just happens to be one of those very difficult ones for medicine to, to overcome. So how can we expect science to overcome the transition from human to, to computer if we can't solve the problems that we have now within the human race? 
what's going to hopefully happen is that in the next 10 or 20 years, and I'm a full believer that we will, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, completely cure and eliminate cancer as well in the next 10 or 20 years. Um, we will also along this path, you know, transition into a society that loses its, it's what we might call its humanness, but it's going to keep the best parts of humanity. Because I don't ever think we're going to throw away our sense of perhaps uh, brother or sisterhood, our sense of love, our sense of loyalty, of mm-hmm. honor. I think we're going to keep the best parts, and hopefully, as we had talked earlier, throw away some of the bad parts, the ones where we war with each other, where we have constant conflict with each other. I'm hoping that we can kind of weed through that and uh, evolve ourselves into you know, a type of utopian society where um, a lot of the bad stuff has kind of fallen away and disappeared. Utopian society. I that would work if everyone was on the same playing field. But I don't see how being split between those who will live forever and those who are going to die horrible deaths is utopia. Yeah, no, I mean I I agree with you. It's difficult to see right now, mm-hmm. but you know globalization has started really sinking in, taking place. You can see it. And with it, a lot more people are getting access to modern medicine. Mm-hmm. Their, you know, mortality rates have certainly uh, dropped, and you know, um, and they're, and they're, you know, it's going to get better and better slowly. I just done an article where every single year people live, on average, the human race, one year longer, mm-hmm. and eventually that's going to become two years longer. And you know, hopefully, technology and science will take us to a place where we actually improve. I can tell you no one's ever going to be completely satisfied. It, you know, there's always going to be bad people out there that do dumb things and, uh, and good people that sometimes do wrong things. So, you know, it's never going to be a perfect system. I just hope it slowly spirals upward to make uh, everyone's lives better. But wasn't technology and science responsible for the bombs that were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki? They certainly were. And, you know, that's, they can do just as much damage. Mm-hmm. I am... You know, the Terminator scenario is real. It's, uh, we uh, just was discussing this with a scientist the other day. Mm-hmm. He works in artificial intelligence. He says with enough funding, we could have AI here. That means an entity that's as smart as us or smarter than us in 15 years. And that means that, wow, a species that's smarter than us, that's, that's actually very dangerous. And so we are going to have to be very careful how we handle that. Maybe it's something we actually don't want. Maybe it's something that society will go to the very edge and say, hey, there are some, there are some limits in the system that we're not sure we want to go down that path. And uh, maybe there will be other things that we will. Maybe it'll just be life extension that the human race will go after. And at some point we'll say, you know, we've gone too far technologically. We fear for the species' mm-hmm. sake. Tell me, what do you think the advantages would be for eternal life? Well, you know, one thing I can say about it is that everyone kind of always says, oh, well, it's going to get really boring, but um, I think they uh, underestimate how large the universe is. Uh, We could go, you know, a a Google amount of years, essentially, you know, trillions and trillions of years and light years, and still never experience everything in the universe, especially if it's expanding and stuff like that. So I'm looking forward to exploring every nook and cranny of the universe, whether it's as a human being, whether it's as a transhumanist entity, maybe whether it's as a complete machine or just a form of energy, as a spirit. That could be something like that. So there's so many things out there that we can do, and that's why I want to live as long as possible. You know, talk about changing a career midway. Mm-hmm. I might have a million careers. But, you know, you say spirit, millions upon millions upon millions of people on this planet right now 
believe that when this biological body ceases to exist, its spirit, its soul moves on. The soul never dies. So isn't it possible that transhuman, uh, the transhumanist concept has already been accomplished by, a, by something called religion? Indeed, indeed. In fact, there is a character in my novel, uh, Zoe Bach, who represents that exact point of view. She's mm-hmm. like, look, there, and she's the most liked character in the novel, I'll tell you that by a long shot. The protagonist is kind of uh, angry and controversial, and no one really likes him. But Zoe Bach, everyone likes, because she takes the spiritual perspective of transhumanism. She says, hey, we already are spirit. It doesn't matter if we live or die forever, because transhumanist aims are going to just end up at the exact same place as spiritual aims which is this kind of greater mystic consciousness or this greater mm-hmm. mystic uh, experience. And um, yes, maybe, uh, maybe all the work of transhumanists is just going to lead to some um, somewhat glorious or somewhat, re- you know, a big giant revelation of something very spiritual. And I, I can actually endorse that. I've met a lot of spiritual people mm-hmm. and a lot of religious people recently who say, hey, it may be a Jesus singularity, it may be a singularity of consciousness, it may be a, a mystic singularity, you know, singularity being that technological point in time when we saw, you know, we all just advanced so quickly. Mm-hmm. So uh, but, it could be many things like that. But if it is, like you were saying, and I kind of understand where, where we turn to spirit after all this transhumanist migration from human to computer and, and beyond— by going back to trying to put the human spirit or soul into a computer into a form of avatar, aren't we just going backwards? <laughs> so, you know, I mean, this is a good story for my sequel, but perhaps that is the lesson that transhumanists or even people like myself need to learn, is uh, we have, instead of just embracing something of the spirit. Mm-hmm. We have been always afraid. I mean, I'm afraid of embracing it. I, I'm too afraid of death, I, and I want to work to overcome it. But perhaps that's the lesson that people like myself or even the greatest scientists on the planet need to learn. Um, and so that's, this is where, again, this other side of my uh, ideas and, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, Zoe Bach and the novel come out where it's maybe just leading to one another. Maybe it's just a spiritual lesson to teach uh, transhumanists that uh, they, what they were working for had all long ago uh, existed. They just hadn't found it in the proper way. You know, so, you know who knows? We'll, uh, we'll go down that path. You know, that's scary because uh, as you and I were discussing this possibility from spirit and so on, you know, if you were to take the, the part of Genesis where God said, and let us create man in our image and our likeness, it fits perfectly into transhumanism. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you compare some of the the biblical things to Mm -hmm. what is actually happening today, it it gets a little scary. I mean, uh, you know, I grew up a Catholic, so I have a very detailed, uh, um, you know, knowledge of the Bible, and uh, and, uh, and my book is essentially explores religion in depth. So I I can tell you that the similarities, the coincidences are are way too much. It's, you know, from just looking at it from a purely uh, statistical point of view, too many things are happening that sound similar. Mm-hmm. And again, this kind of goes back to, well, if this is how destiny is unfolding, perhaps there was some secret knowledge or something like that that transhumanists like myself can't see. Now, I don't see that, but uh, I'm open to, to, to learning if that's going to be the, the path I have to go down. I understand that the possibilities of eternal life 
exploring the universe, every nook and cranny. It, it sounds so compelling. It sounds so adventurous. You're an adventurer. You're an explorer. You know, you, God, you, you go boarding down the down a volcano. I wouldn't even think of doing that in my wildest dreams. But anyway, for us people who are not as adventurous or we don't, I, I'm an explorer, but not not one who would like to spend the rest of their life exploring the universe or, or you know, like, I'm, I'm very happy knowing, and I've accepted this, that as a human being, the moment you are conceived is the moment you start to die. So I'm ready. No, and you know, and that I understand. You, you know, transhumanism is such a small movement at the moment. We're talking, you know, the the amount of people that are probably into it are, you know, millions. But mm-hmm. when you're talking about billions of people, I think that feel like you. Billions of people. My father, for example, mostly feels like, hey, I lived a good life. You know, but dying is also a part of life. Mm-hmm. It's just, there are some of us that don't accept that. Some of us think non-existence is just simply unacceptable. But, we, but you and, see, um, we, don't know, yeah. we don't know if it's non-existence after life. We don't know that. That's the beauty You're of right, life. It's filled either. with wonderment. Life is filled with wonderment. You know, I, I look at life like, like the life of a, of a caterpillar. You know, when we're here on this planet, on this dimension, we're a caterpillar. But when we die, we enter the cocoon and we come out a butterfly or, or, or our spirit is free. I don't think that if you look at science and science says you cannot destroy energy, we are energy. So whether we're put in a box, whether we are, you know, burned, uh, cremated, Whatever, after this biological unit ceases to exist, our energy, our soul, our essence lives on. So why would we want to encapsulate that and put it into a computer? I don't understand it. Some of us, from, I think, an emotional perspective, Mm -hmm. from a just genetic perspective, we don't, we just, it upsets me in such a thorough way to try to accept that my mind screams no this is the end there there might be energy but it's not my memories it's not my consciousness it's not my identity it's not zoltan everything that i've wanted to be and that's what i want to preserve i want to preserve that at all costs that's you know Let, why i wrote the novel why i you know zoltan to, i can under, I, I, I can I understand that, that but god forbid and i say this with the greatest care and caution god forbid you're driving down the road tomorrow you get into an automobile accident. Your life is taken. That's the end of Zoltan on this plane. But what about what happens after you die and with all the people who have come back and talk about reincarnation, near-death experiences? That's food for thought. Let's talk about that when we come back from this commercial break. My name is Rob McConnell. This is The Exxon. We'll be back on the other side of this break with Zoltan. Don't go away. each new extreme weather event or terrorist act, it becomes increasingly obvious that we live in uncertain and challenging times. We all buy car insurance. Why not collapse and catastrophe insurance? 
Matthew Stein, an MIT-trained engineer and green builder, has written two outstanding books to help people prepare, plan for, and deal with everything from minor situations lasting a few days to full-on collapse. Matt's first book, When Technology Fails, is a manual for self-reliance, sustainable living, and surviving the long emergency. This massive book covers the gamut from first aid and emergency preparedness to alternative healing, renewable energy, primitive living skills, and 18th century technologies that could be critical to your comfort and survival in a long-lasting crisis. Matt's second book, When Disaster Strikes, is a comprehensive emergency preparedness handbook and survival guide. When Disaster Strikes is an essential item for every family's go-bag. Both books are available at all usual sources. There's a wealth of totally free information posted at whentechfails.com and author-signed copies may be purchased at mattstein.com. That's www.whentechfails.com and www.mattstein.com. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnick's, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God, it was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God. And finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Nation, this has been a great hour. My guest is Zoltan Esfan. His website is www.transhumanistwager.com, and that's also the title of his award-winning book. Zoltan, I've got to say that I thoroughly enjoyed this hour with you. Um, you've opened up a, a can of possibilities that I'm sure a lot of our listeners haven't even thought about. But before we go, there is one there is one scenario I would like to I would like to uh, put to you. We have two people, let's say Dick and Jane, who have become transhumanists and they have been put into a computer and are now uh, avatars. What about their feelings? What about their emotions? What about their desires to have children? How would they, how would they have a family if they were avatars, would their children be born uh, within the computer community uh, in in virtual reality? How would this work? Well, I think the first thing is that the actual kind of complexity of their brains, of their minds, 
would probably be a thousand to a million times more than the human brain is. Mm -hmm. The thing is, there's a lot more computing powers than servers. So they might have much more extraordinary feelings than we have right now. They might have the sensibilities of something we can't even imagine. But as far as children, marrying, uh, some of the institutions that the human race considers fundamental and very beautiful, I'm not sure they're going to exist. We might not be coded for it anymore. We may not want to have children if you are an avatar. We may just want to be, uh, you know, dare I say, selfish uh, entities just floating around inside the machine. That's what it sounds like, you know, to hell with you. I'm part of this machine. I don't care about your world. I don't care about your species. I don't need to care. That, that, something seems very wrong about that. Or am I just too moral? Well, you know, and no, no, I just, that, that is one of the, the dangers. In fact, that's one of the controversies of my book mm. is that it's a very egotistical point of view. But, you know, perhaps we'll adjust and perhaps some people will have digital avatar children. Maybe they'll figure out a way to continue the mammalian uh, ideas yeah. that are the, you know, the mammalian ideas in our DNA and, and have something beautiful like that and something very altruistic. It, it's hard to tell. Wow. Where can your book be bought, Sultan? You know, the best place to get it is uh, on Amazon.com. Ah. Just type in the Transhumanist Wager. A lot of food for thought this hour, Zoltan. What is your final message in the to the Exo Nation around the world? We've got about a minute left. Well, you know, I would just say, if your, people ha- if your uh, listeners haven't heard about transhumanism, take a look at my book. Uh, it's an exciting novel as it is, so, you know, at least you'll have mm-hmm. a fun story. And, you know, consider what science and technology can do in... Um, in your life. Uh, it can perhaps help. It can perhaps make us live longer. I know there's some dangers involved, as you pointed out in the show, but uh, there's also many, many positive things. And hopefully as a society, we can all move forward together and find a, a better world. Hey, Zoltan, I want to thank you so much for your time. I thoroughly enjoyed having you on the show, and I'd love to have the opportunity of bringing you back on to further discuss this fascinating topic in the future. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Have a nice night. Once again, Exxon Nation, if you'd like to find out more about Zoltan or the transhumanist um, method, I guess, or cult or group, www.transhumanistwager.com. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news at six and a half minutes past the top of the hour as the Exxon continues from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Worldwide toll-free, 1-800-610-7035. Email exxon at exxonradiotv.com. On all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV and our website, www.exxonradiotv.com. I don't know. I'd rather stay in this old body than instead of being floating around in a computer somewhere over the rainbow. I'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. <laughs> 